Welcome to the English Montreal School Board Podcast. My name is Barry Morgan, and on this podcast, you will hear from people within the EMSB community and beyond, people who work very hard to make this board the choice of thousands of families. You'll hear from various experts and from other people who will share their inspiring experiences with the EMSB. In this podcast, we will be doing some exploring, and I mean exploring, with my two guests. Sarah Ayatoro is very special to the English Montreal School Board. She's a robotics consultant and the chair for RoboCup International 2018, which was held in Montreal this past June. We have plenty of robotics and more to discuss. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Barry. Good to have you here. My other guest is also out of this world. He is Brian Ewanson. He's toured a number of EMSB schools over the years, a big believer in the STEAM program. We'll talk about that. He was at RoboCup, held several workshops on making the Canadarm. Born here in Montreal, Brian is a rocket scientist, an astrophysicist, and an elementary school teacher. And when he's not too busy, he's worked with almost all of our top Canadian astronauts. Brian, it's great to have you as well. Thank you so much. So was it your idea, first of all, um, to have Chris Hadfield sing from the International Space Station? Uh, basically, for when you, when you think of myself, I'm, I will never be on The Voice, and uh, <laughs> sure as heck not going to be on America's Got Talent. Okay. But, uh, Chris, is a, he's actually the lead bass guitarist for the all-astronaut band called Max Q. Uh, so when he went up there, he definitely had the idea that he wanted to uh, showcase his musical talents, which is not just science, technology, engineering, and math, we also add the arts in that Absolutely, well. absolutely. Uh, but you are very close with uh, Mr. Hatfield. Absolutely, I trained Chris way back in the early 1990s when he was with the Canadian Space Agency and came down to Houston and joined the NASA space program. Hmm. Uh, Chris and I go way back to his selection in 1992 and I've been lucky enough to not only have him as a coworker, but a good friend as well. Want to hear more about how you actually train astronauts and what your experience has been, how close you've come to outer space, Sarah, how did you come to uh, meet Mr. Ewanson and to bring him on board to come to the EMSB so many times? Well, I heard him speak at one of the, one of the schools, and uh, he was at one of the other schools outside our school board, and I thought, wow, what a wealth of information in order to get our students excited about space. One of the, Earth and space is part of one of our essential knowledges in our science and technology program. Then when STEAM came on board in our school board, it was really exciting to really help kids understand that just because you're, uh, you know, you're in a certain field doesn't mean you can't know a lot of things mm -hmm. because we have to know a lot of things. And that is the whole basis of the STEAM initiative. We don't, you don't know what kind of job you'll be in one day, so having a little bit of a diversity background and knowing a little bit of everything, that's really important. So Brian was a wealth of information for us. Your specialty is robotics, Correct. as I mentioned. So can you talk, Sarah, just a bit about the link between robotics and the space program, what that is involved with, what robotics actually can do up in space or even down here as preparing for spaceflight? Mm -hmm. That's an excellent question. We, we obviously are very proud of the Canada arm, mm -hmm. so we're trying to uh, help students really understand machines and how, to, how autonomous machines work and how machines and humans need to live uh, in the 21st century because machines are not going away, but they are there to help us, and they are to help students. So really helping lives, giving us great indicators of what's to come. So we're trying to help students live and understand machines so that they can be the next 
developers or engineers or problem solvers of machines. How much, how much of that is a part of the discussion, Brian, when you talk to either students or, or other colleagues or people that you're training in terms of robotics coupled with uh, you know, space exploration? Oh, absolutely. When we think about the space program, most people, when you look at a Venn diagram, they say we can only send robotic spacecraft to space or we can send people to space. Now, and I, of course, know exactly what a Venn diagram is, and I, <laughs> I don't. Uh, so perhaps you could explain that for me. Venn diagram is when we actually look at a couple of different subjects and we have put them inside these two circles, and where the two circles intersect is basically where we see that actual crossover. Okay. So we've got a lot of people in the space program that say we should only be sending robots to space. We have a lot of people that say we should only send people to space. <laughs> but they actually dovetail together. When we think about, for example, a Hubble Space Telescope, we launched that into space in 1990. And that space telescope actually needed glasses. It had a billion dollar error. It was not going to be able to work. So without sending the space shuttle up and five crews to actually repair that spacecraft, there's no way that we could have actually had that wonderful astronomical tool in space. And Canada's niche, of course, uh, we only provided 2% to the International Space Station, and that's our arm strength. And without that arm, there's no way those 163 pieces built in 16 different nations could have actually come together. So without Canada's arm power, that space station would not exist. I'm guessing you guys are familiar with Isaac Asimov and probably a lot more than I am. But when I was a kid, I read a lot of his stuff. So that's why I learned my robotics <laughs> and space stuff from iRobot. There were certainly a lot of robots in outer space in the back then, what was supposed to be the future. Sarah, is that something that we could see? Like literally robots mining other planets? Oh, I, th I think so. I mean, we have obviously we have a rover in, in on Mars, so I mean, they are, that robot is doing its job. Right. We also have Robonaut Two, which Brian, you know, is, is more familiar with. But I mean, Robonaut is definitely a robot that will go out into spacewalks. Robonaut. Uh, yep, Robonaut is a program of both DARPA and GM, and they created basically an android robot, which is a humanoid form robot. Wow. Uh, astronauts have completed 163 spacewalks on board the International Space Station to construct it and maintain it. But a spacewalk is probably the single most dangerous thing an astronaut could do. So we've actually created a robot that will actually be able to go outside, do some of the menial tasks, some of the maintenance, uh, so I guess. maintenance yeah. on board the International Space Station hmm. so that the astronauts are not exposed to those extra dangers. Wow, that's, and, that's and that terrific. that robot is... Uh, very, very functional, also doing a lot of the cleaning on the inside of the space station. So uh, Robonaut actually takes out the vacuum cleaner and cleans, uh, cleans out all the lint and stuff of that sort, which, a the, ast service which in the, the astronauts really don't want to do. That's very nice. That's very nice. And uh, speaking of that, so there's, they're taking care of a lot of the menial tasks up in the sky and on the ground as well. When we were at RoboCup at the Palais de Congrès, I mean, we saw robots literally playing soccer. There was one section as well where it was a household and they were showing what a, what a robot could do in the future or maybe even not in the future. Some, even in the present, I guess, Sarah, some people are already using this technology. Oh, absolutely. Especially in Japan, you have the humanoid robots like Pepper, for example, that you can order a Pepper to come and, and help you at home and to have have conversations with you. So Can we get that here now? or Absolutely. How much, does it, how much will that cost? <laughs> Probably about closer to $30,000. <laughs> <clears> okay. A little so. more than my allowance. <laughs> 
But it's it's already it's not so much the I mean it's already here. But I guess I don't even know if a lot of people even realize that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think where Canada obviously is trying to move more for, forward into AI, and I mean that's that is the goal for Canada is to become the next Silicon Valley or become more versed in AI and robotics. So that's a big goal for Canada, right. and I think that through RoboCup, I mean that's one of the missions of RoboCup is really to to help students develop essential knowledges in AI, robotics, science, research. So that we can live and uh, and positively with robots in our lives. So they are really there to help us in our world. You're listening to the EMSB podcast. I'm Barry Morgan with EMSB Robotics Consultant Sarah Toro and aerospace educator Brian Ewenson, who tours a number of EMSB schools. And when you do that, what do you bring? Do you bring stuff with you? I suspect you have to bring some instruments or some kind of uh, equipment with you. Absolutely. I have the opportunity to go across North America, even into Europe, doing presentations. Uh, having trained astronauts, I also have the second largest personal collection of space program memorabilia in all of North America. So what does that compile? Uh, so, How big is that? Uh, right now, I actually have uh, com complete stuff in my home, uh, but I've also I have stuff on long-term loan in four different museums. Like what's the coolest thing you have? Uh, coolest thing I have uh, by far, I travel with a $3 million pair of spacesuit pants. That's pretty cool. Uh, that, <laughs> that actually uh, flew in space. So a lot of the artifacts we bring, uh, astronaut gloves, uh, shuttle heat tiles, uh, that have flown in space, uh, brewing the astronaut food. Hmm. Uh, not not very appetizing when you see it in the package. Can I borrow uh, those pants? I've got a heavy weekend coming up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's um, the kids must be like in awe when they see stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of times with the kids, they say, you know, beginning of the school year, did your parents actually go out and buy you, say, a new pair of pants? And invariably, most of the kids raise their hands, and then, then I ask, how many of you have actually had your parents buy you a $3 million pair of pants? <laughs> and, and basically, nobody. Nobody. Uh, so then we show them what that $3 million pair yeah. of pants is like. Maybe, maybe J-Lo or Beyonce. <laughs> maybe they could have pants like that. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating stuff. And when do the kids are they really curious about what it takes to become an astronaut absolutely one of the neat things uh, about programs in particular the space program is it covers all aspects of the human uh, experience uh, we, our job is not to make astronauts out of all of these students but to actually expose them to the opportunities uh, for example, when I moved from Canada to the United States, I was one of the 43,000 people that worked in the shuttle program. There's only seven people riding that vehicle, but I'm one of the 43,000 people that if I didn't do my job, those folks wouldn't make it to or from space safely. Right. Now, even though we're definitely um, emphasizing science, technology, engineering, and math, a lot of folks don't realize that NASA has its own TV station. You can be a reporter for NASA. We have artists that design the crew pack. Matches. Mm -hmm. We have linguists to teach, I mean, the thousands of people. teach the astronauts yeah. the different languages we use on the space station. Uh, so, I mean, when we actually look at those seven astronauts on board, uh, it's a truly a village of people behind them that, that support them. What has stopped you or kept you from going to outer space yourself? Um, well, probably the biggest thing is uh, it's a very, very highly competitive environment. Uh, the last Canadian selection, we selected two new astronauts who are what, one year into their two-year training regimen right now. 
18,036 people applied for two positions. Uh, a lot of people say to me, you know, how come you didn't become an astronaut? Well, uh, I, I've been training astronauts now for 20 years. I've worked with over 71 different astronauts from 16 different countries, and I actually get to be a part of history. So, I mean, even though I've not gone into space myself, getting to work with my heroes, uh, my boss for seven years was uh, former U.S. Senator and astronaut John Glenn. Uh, first time I met him at the Johnson Space Center, I'm like, Colonel, Senator, he's like, just call me John. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're in the history books, there's no way I can call you. Maybe he didn't uh, realize he's actually John Glenn. John Glenn. Uh, there's, no, I, you know, there's no way I could call, just call you John, but sure. I mean, the most humbling thing he said is, uh, we are equals. We can't do what we do in space without you guys supporting us. And I mean, that really grounded me in my career, knowing that you know, these world-class historical figures are basically, uh, they need that support, they need that, those teams around them. And uh, that really made it, uh, made me grounded. So we settled on Sir for the first couple of years. <laughs> and towards the end, then I could actually call him John. Any desire, Sarah, to go into outer space? Uh, not right not now. Really? Okay. <laughs> I, I, it's a really tough job. And I am through all of Brian's lectures. I mean, I've really, I realized and I've come to appreciate how much it really goes into the uh, space, space exploration mm -hmm. and the astronauts. And one of the examples I, I love, you know, that Brian uses is, astronauts, you know, if the toilet breaks in outer space, then what do you do? You have to be able to fix the toilet. It's as basic as that to really, you know, do yeah, all the There's no service station across the street, is there? No, yeah. no. So learning basic skills, and, and Brian promotes that in his presentations and talks to students, says it's knowing a little bit of everything, and obviously reading is extremely important. So promoting all the subjects. And, right. And not just picking the ones that you like, but being able to understand and clue into so many different things and be able to fix things and take things apart. So all those type of you know conversations that we're having with the students, we hope that you know, they will become very STEAM-oriented. I would hope so. And I have to tell you, for myself, it's a treat to speak with have two scientists like yourself talking about these kinds of things because it's, I think it's fascinating for most people. So since I do have the opportunity to have somebody with your kinds of backgrounds and educations, what do you see as the next wave? I know you can't predict necessarily, but you know, you go from Kitty Hawk in the early 1900s and less than 70 years later, there's a man walking on the moon. I mean, the technology is just progressing at a, an incredible speed, an incredible rate. I certainly didn't see the internet coming. I know you can't necessarily tell us, Sarah, what the next big thing will be, but I mean, literally, it seems the sky is the limit. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, EMSB's been doing robotics is, uh, for 15 years, the longest any board in Quebec. And I think even, I'm, I'm confident to say, anywhere in Canada. So, I mean, the fact that we were visionaries in robotics and seeing the, how the future will hold. And but robotics is not only the technology, it's really about problem solving. So being polymaths, finding solutions, you know, fixing things, putting things, uh, you know, using logic to put things together. So I think that we were really, you know, avant-garde in that. So it's, and now we're in a period where AI is being talked about everywhere. And so I think that, you know, having the STEAM program is definitely where we went ahead. And I think that we were, we were very proactive in getting on board and being visionaries for the STEAM initiative. Robots on the assembly line for years now. Uh, robots in the operating room, that's becoming a thing now as well. Brian, where, where do you see us in 10, 15 years? Um, definitely as we move further out into the universe, definitely artificial intelligence, uh, autonomy is going to be a huge 
uh, issue. When we actually look at astronauts right now on the space station, it's only a two-second delay for a message to go to and from the International Space Station. But when we get to Mars, a message will take 12 minutes one way, 12 minutes to come back. So astronauts going to places like Mars or even the spacecraft that are there on Mars, we send a message, uh, say, to the rover, and we say, uh, we need you to go look at the rock. 12 right minutes now. later, yeah, the message comes minutes, back, right. the one on the right or left. 12 minutes later, <laughs> the one on the right. Uh, so basically, even human beings being in that environment are actually going to have to be much more dependent and independent and autonomous. Mm. And robots will be doing those kinds of tasks with AI is they'll be able to actually project what they need to do and get it done even before mission control knows what happens. So artificial intelligence, robotics, is going to be uh, critical to the future. What do you say to what do you say to people? And I'm sure you've heard this before many times. Who say, "Why are we spending so much money on outer space when so much of that money can be put to good use on planet Earth?" Uh, we get that question all the time. Uh, number one, as I say to the folks, we spend 18 billion dollars a year, but we don't spend that money going to space. That money actually returns to Earth. We have over 2,500 different products that we use in our daily lives that were created because we have a space program. Such as? Such as uh, cell phones, uh, digital cell phones, radiation blocking sunglasses, uh, GPS. Wouldn't exist without? Uh, wouldn't exist without the space program. They more or less would have been created, but the space program accelerated the development of that technology into our daily lives. Now, a lot of folks say, oh, NASA, why don't we, why don't we spend that money elsewhere? For every $1 spent on the space program in the United States, $7 returns to the economy in products and services. And when you look at, say, the DOD, but Department of Defense budget, et cetera, what would you say that NASA's actual percentage of the U.S. federal budget is? It's less than one quarter of one percent of the right? U.S. federal budget. <laughs> uh, when we went to the moon, was NASA's highest budget. At that point, we were 20 percent of the federal budget to get to the moon. But nowadays, we're less than one quarter of one cent. Well, back then, nobody was complaining. I mean, the entire country, uh, probably the world, or except for the Soviet Union, was was, was egging on. Was very supportive of it. About 10 of the entire decade, I guess, of the 60s. Yeah. And when we look at the International Space Station, when you look at the uh, 16 different nations, if we put it in a per capita basis, that's $3.25 of each citizen of those 16 countries hmm per year to operate the space station. Suddenly it doesn't uh, seem that much. I am very happy to give up a Big Mac, fries, and soda if we can actually create life-saving technologies that will help to make Earth a better place. And not even a double Big Mac, so everybody's a winner, I guess. Uh, we're wrapping up here, guys. Um, Sarah, are we going to see uh, robots playing soccer? Well, I already know that they are now, but in the future, maybe in 10, 15, 20 years, taking the place of human athletes. Um, no, I don't think so. Not, to, not. To, <laughs> no, I think that the robots are really there to help the, <clears throat> excuse me, the players become more strong, become more, you know, uh, increase their agility. So really, it's really about skill development. So having the robots play against humans, it's really about skill development. At RoboCup, the the this year. The robots, the humans won one against zero, so it was extremely close. It's right. been the best ever score. So that was that's a that's a huge development to when I started with RoboCup ten years ago. Well, we see robots like looking like humans, like a cyborg. I guess people have in mind, like maybe from uh, Terminator or something like that. They kind of look like human beings. They've got the legs, you know, the limbs, and so on, and the and the chest and the head. 
would they be able to play? Is that going to be a thing will they, where they will actually play soccer against some of the best players in the world? And could they beat them? Mm -hmm. Probably, but yeah. right now we do have some robots that look, that are human-like, but I mean, the, just you know, test, having robots balance is really challenging. Like even Robonaut, Robonaut has, is not on feet. So the, having feet and having a robot stand and run, it's pretty challenging. I mean, even though we have those type of robots now, it's, uh, but having them run yeah. as fast as a human, it's still uh, in the development. I think what would be challenging would be for the odds makers in Vegas to figure out the, the point spread or, yeah. or the favorites <laughs> if you got robots playing against human beings. Uh, let's wrap up though, maybe perhaps Brian, just about the, your goal, which is to educate students uh, and adults about the, the wonders of the world and the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when, when my family actually brought uh, my twin brother and I from Montreal, Quebec, all the way down to the Kennedy Space Center at four years old, we didn't have Challenger Learning Centers. We didn't have space exploration in our elementary schools, our this middle early schools, 70s. our high schools. In the early 70s, so it was the family exposing us to those opportunities. Right then and there, at four years old, my twin brother and I decided we wanted to be in the aerospace industry. <laughs> uh, my twin brother is an Air Canada pilot. He gets to fly all over the world. Um, I decided I wanted to be working in the space program. I started with the Canadian Space Agency here in uh, St. Hubert, Quebec. NASA said, how'd you like to come to a place where it never snows, we'll pay you in American dollars, and you get to work with your heroes. Uh, so, I mean, the, the key thing I want to say is we're not trying to make every student into an astronaut, but we're exposing them to the opportunities of uh, not only present careers in science, technology, engineering, and math, but also the possibilities of the future. Right now, we are training students for jobs that don't even exist that have not even been created. Uh, so we want to expose students to those opportunities and potential new opportunities. Brian comes to Montreal a couple of times a year, speaks to students at a number of English Montreal School Board schools. BrianEwenson.com, by the way, that's E-W-E-N-S-O-N. -E Pleasure to meet you and thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Brian Ewenson, he's got a long business card, rocket scientist, astrophysicist, he's a teacher. He also uh, works with and trains top astronauts, Canadian and American as well. And Sarah Ayatoro, um, who again is very special to the English Montreal School Board, a robotics consultant. Sarah, thank you very much as well. Thank you, Barry, for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to this installment of the English Montreal School Board podcast. I'm Barry Morgan. And don't forget, for all the latest news and information, follow the EMSB on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at EnglishMTL.